Good morning again, folks, and welcome back to our series on what God's will is for your life. Now, I want to make a disclaimer right at the start. Some of the themes we'll be mentioning today are quite mature, so you just want to make sure that if you've got some young children about the house, that they're out of earshot. Now, it's not that I'm going to be explicit or inappropriate or anything like that there, but uh, I just don't want them hearing any terminology then that you have to turn and say, well, actually, I don't want to explain what those words mean to you because uh, they're just too young to comprehend. So if you have teenagers, however, I, I do think that this is something that could be really helpful for you as parents to, to talk to them with or let them watch this uh, by themselves. Well, if you are a teenager watching this, um, I'm sorry maybe that your mum or dad has made you watch this because I've just said that, but um, we're going to talk about some stuff that maybe no one else really talks about. And so I hope that uh, this will help you to think biblically uh, through some tricky waters whenever everyone else is maybe silent on it. So we've seen quite clearly from scripture what God wants for us is far more centered on who we are rather than what job or house we're in. We've seen that God's will is for us to be saved, to be living sacrifices, to be spirit filled. And today we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, which says very explicitly, God's will is for you to be sanctified. Now, what does that word mean? Well, right down at its most basic core level, it means becoming more like God and less like the unsaved world around us. So again, think of the flow of this series so far. We're saved. And so we want to respond to God by saying, OK, I want to live my life for you. But that's hard. So God says, that's okay, let me fill you with my Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit, what happens is it will work in us to mold us and shape us to be more like Jesus. And because he is the Holy Spirit, not the kindness spirit or the niceness spirit, the Holy Spirit drives us to holiness. And holiness can be often how we describe the pursuit of someone who is being sanctified. Holiness is about being distinctive for God. Let me tell you a story that might help. A little boy comes home from uh, an event at church, but instead of bouncing off all the walls because of all the sugar that the church leaders pump into the kids full of, you know, just as they're leaving, you know what you're doing. Instead, he's quiet, confused, and just puzzled. And his dad, being a Christian, says, here, son, what's up? Tell, tell me what's going on. Well, that at church, we're told that God's really, 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 really big. And this got his dad a wee bit worried. He goes, uh, yeah, that's right. God is bigger than we could possibly imagine. But that, then we learned that when we ask him to forgive our sins, he comes in and lives inside of us. Well, yeah, son, this is this is right. What has got you so confused? It looks like you've grasped two really important things here. He says, but dad, if God is so big and I'm so little, if he's inside me, won't he stick out? And his dad says, exactly, son. Folks, sanctification is when a great big God is at work in you and I, and he sticks out. People see him when they look at us. We become distinctive, holy. Okay, so the goal here, when Paul writes and says, okay, we need to be sanctified, it means that we need to make sure that our lives look different to the culture in such a way that, not that people think we're weird, but that they see Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal. Let Jesus be seen in my life. Now, Jesus has given us the key to getting sanctified back in John 17. In John 17, verse 17, he says, Sanctify them, Lord, in the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, this isn't going to happen just naturally. It can only come by being anchored and rooted in the truth of God. And ultimately, the only one true source of truth that we have is the Bible. 
So the only way to be truly sanctified, the only way to live a life where God sticks out is to live biblically. Now here's how Paul describes that same process in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. He says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. So did you catch that? Paul wants the church, their goal to be abounding in love for one another so that God may establish their hearts blameless in holiness. So for Paul, sanctification isn't simply knowing Bible truth, but living biblically. And he characterized that as abounding in love. So real holiness isn't boring or being hard or firm. It's an overflowing of and abounding in love so when we turn the page into chapter 4 of first thessalonians we need to keep that in mind that paul's already talked through that because in these verses that we're looking at it's going to feel like paul's coming after us here it's going to feel like he's getting very personal and maybe even sticking his nose into places where it doesn't really belong but he's saying this so that we may live a life that abounds in real love and leads us to holiness that lets people see Jesus in us. And so the goal is for both these things to happen at the same time. And if we want that, it means that we're going to have to say no to some other things that will put our holiness. So let's start here at verse 1 of First Thessalonians 4. It says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you've received from us how you ought to walk in the place God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we give you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, pause. Now, you see the grammar there. If you're reading along, it will say, your sanctification, colon, abstain from sexual immorality. In other words, Paul is saying, okay, last thing we have to deal with here, guys, if you want this, you've got to get rid of this other stuff. Verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you before him and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives us his Holy Spirit too. So, okay, Paul again is saying, guys, you've got to get a grasp on this. Now keep going, show them, show how serious he is. Then to show them how serious he is, he contrasts two things. He contrasts holiness and purity, the sanctified life, marked with abounding in love for one another. And he contrasts it to impurity, specifically sexual immorality. Now this is going to be uncomfortable maybe for some of you, trust me. Um, it's quite uncomfortable this side of the camera as well. But it's essential that if we are faithful here, that, or that we are faithful here because Jesus says we are sanctified by truth and your word is true. So we have to deal with this. Otherwise, we're never going to fulfill God's will for our lives, which is that people are to see in, in us that we are sanctified. Now, I think Paul uses this contrast with purity instead of something else for three reasons. Number one, it was a real issue in the church then and it still is now. Number two, not only is it a real issue, but it's a really serious issue. And we'll get to that later on. And number three, it's really private. And I think Paul is addressing this contrast here to put a finger on a few people to convict their conscience. 
Because sanctified lives is not just looking apart and playing a part, which is where so many Christians live. Okay, we, we're, we're looking the part, but inside our hearts, inside our minds, this is when we really are becoming like God and not just acting apart. This is what really pleases him. Because as our father who has adopted us and brought us into his family, he then can start to see the family resemblance in our lives. So Paul highlights a real danger to this change, sexual immorality, because it can fester in our minds while we keep on acting and we can keep it hidden. But the truth is, we're really desensitized to how toxic this is. Think about the TV shows that we watch, the box sets and movies that we recommend to one another. We just gloss over the nudity. We gloss over the sex scenes. We reckon... Well, they reckon that the average person, which means if you watch an above average amount of TV, it'll be higher. But the average person will see 9,230 sexual scenes on TV every year. That's either actual sex or implied sex. And of that, 81% of that is outside of marriage. Which means if you have a 10-year-old in your house and they start watching TV with you and their friends, by the time they are 20, they will have witnessed almost 93,000 sexual encounters on TV. 73,000 of which are between people who are not husband and wife. Now, if you watch soap operas, that number gets worse. 94% of all implied sexual encounters on soaps are extramarital. Now, tell me that that sheer volume will do to the attitudes of people towards sex. You can't tell me it's got zero impact. The message from TV companies in Hollywood is clear. Look, everyone's doing it. Don't be a prude. It's just sex. Now, I can imagine what some people are thinking. Well, it is. And the Bible's out of date here. Times have changed. Actually, no, they haven't. Not if you do your history, do your research. People loved sex then as much as they do now. Okay, people had affairs or prostitutes, sex slaves. There's records of people in the Roman Empire of having 20 marriages and divorces. And that's not uncommon that they kept track of their age by how many uh, divorces that they've had. But technologies change, but human nature hasn't. So Paul lays out three steps here to swim against the tide of the culture and to live a sanctified life. Number one, keep your life pleasing. Number two, keep your lust prohibited. And number three, keep your love prominent. So I'm really impressed by the church in Thessalonica. Paul's only been in the city a short time and yet they've taken on board really everything that he had to say. And we're living in a way that was contrasted to the culture around them. And that's really impressive. Uh, and in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, like, You received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Okay, so, so that's the goal, to walk in a way that pleases God. And he says, and you are doing that, but now do it more and more. So walk in a lifestyle that pleases God, but keep working on it. Purity starts with this motivation. I'm doing this in a response to him. I'm doing it for him. Sanctification starts with God and our devotion to him. That's what keeps us pure. <clears throat> More so than pinky promises to your boyfriend or girlfriend or having strict parents or so in America that had pure names. I don't know if that's still a thing. Probably not. But all those things may help to, as reminders, but the key to living a life that pleases God is, a, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that starts with who you are in God. And who we want to be in him. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he's going to pull us to holiness, from unholiness. To distinctiveness, from just being like everyone else. Let me put it to you this way. The best way to have, to live a holy life, is to give yourself fully to that relationship. In the same way, the best way for me to be faithful to my wife, 
is to fixate my love and attention on her. I'm only asking for trouble if I spend the majority of my time with other women. I say, ah, oh, but nothing's happening, which is how every man starts to confess to an affair. Oh, it all started innocently enough. Rubbish. But if you allow your focus to shift, so will your heart. So fix your eyes on God. Fall in love afresh with him every day. You know, carpenters are skilled workers. They had a lot of nails, hundreds every day, and, and they get very good at it. But the trick to being a good carpenter is to keep looking at the nail, not looking at your thumb. The reason is very simple. We tend to hit what we're looking at. So fix your eyes on Christ. We have a far better chance of hitting our goal if that's where we begin. I'm living to please him. See, we all live a life to please somebody. The question is if it's God or not. Some people will just live to please themselves. Don't care about anyone else. It's only about them, how they feel. And if it feels good to them in the moment, then they'll do it without thinking about anyone else. But that kind of life doesn't satisfy in the end. It only frustrates. Then you've got some people who will live to please others. They'll bend over and twist and conform to whatever they think people want from them so that they can get a sense of being liked and appreciated. But it makes people insecure, inconsistent. It makes them feel fake. It's a bad way to live now. I'm not saying that we should live to displease people, okay? That's sin as well. But living for yourself doesn't work. Living to please others doesn't work. We know that living for God is the only thing that ultimately is going to bring lasting joy. Emphasis on lasting joy. Because as we said last time, he will grant you the desires of your heart as he works in you and through you. So step one here to a sanctified life is making sure that the guiding motivation that we go into this with is, I want to live a life that pleases God. Now I need to move on here, but please grasp that this is more than obeying rules and regulations because you can do the right thing with a bad heart. Think of any child that's been asked to go do their homework instead of playing Xbox or watching YouTube. They'll do it eventually. They'll be happy about it. In the Bible, think of Jonah going to Nineveh, said, right, I'm here, God. But I'm going to make sure that you know that my heart's not in this and these protests by huffing outside the city under a tree. No, in Ephesians 6, we're told to be doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. God, I want to live a life that pleases you. After all that you've done for me, all the love and joy and peace and salvation that I have because of you, I want to respond to you. I want to have a life of worship, a life of just responding to who you are and what you've done and who you are. So that's part one. Keep your life pleasing. But that means, leads us to point two, or keep our lust prohibited. See, what Paul is trying to make these Christians understand and reminding us of what we've probably forgotten is that a sanctified life is about saying yes to God, but yes to that Holy Spirit in our lives. But by default, that means we're going to have to say no to some of the other things in this world. Titus 2.7 says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your heart's teaching, in your teaching, show integrity, dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. So it's more than just just say no. It's saying, I'm going to live in such a way that doesn't give you a chance to criticise me, even if you get a hold of my web history. Now, how many people do you know that have been hurt or fallen out with Christians because of something that they've said or something that they've done, and people walk away from church, and they walk away from their faith because of these kinds of Christians? Paul says to Titus, look, 
sanctified people don't work like that. It's saying no to sin because we've said yes to something else. Now let's look at verses 3 to 4 back in 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Hold on. That, you're, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour. See, that call to abstain from sexual immorality, those two words are actually one word in Greek. It's porneia. Abstain from porneia. It's a wider umbrella term than that is more than just sex. It includes what goes on in our minds as well. So what goes through your mind when you walk past people, when you watch a film or a sex scene comes on? See, God is relational. He longs for us to be in an active relationship with him. He desires a close bond. And he wants you to enjoy that in all your relationships, that closeness, that intimacy. And so God created sex to be an enjoyable gift. I'm not trying to say that sex isn't enjoyable. It is. But the Bible is calling us. What the Bible is calling to us to here is a good walk as well as good sex. And because God is relational, he cares about this. And so what is God given is also God governed. God says, look, sex is a wonderful gift, but it's precious. So it has to be safeguarded. It demands intimacy and vulnerability. And it can easily be toxic. It can easily be subverted. And so it, it can only happen after people have vowed to treasure one another. And that happens in the marriage vows. And so, by the way, being engaged it's still not married, okay? Just because a promise of intent has been made, it means nothing until you make good on that promise and marry her. And you might be really excited. Good, that's good. I'm glad that that's right. But Corinthians tells us love is patient because that's the environment for sex within the protected walls of a loving and devoted commitment to one another. And a spirit-filled believer will feel it but we'll fight against it and fight for holiness and fight for Christ-likeness. Pornea, anything that falls outside of what God's will is. So things like pornography, masturbation, they're not safe. They corrode. They're forms of adultery. They cheapen the person that you fantasize about. And we don't have time to dissect what you're doing to that person on the other side of the lens who is an image bearer of God. But you have to remember that in Northern Ireland, 29% of 15-year-olds access porn daily. Daily, one in three teenagers have sent indecent images on their phone. These are Northern Ireland statistics released last year. This is going to impact how they grow up and how they think about their spouse and how they think about sex and how they think about God. Because you sin against your body, according to 1 Corinthians 6. You sin against your future spouse in doing this. You sin against the Lord in doing this. You sin against your children in doing this. When David had his affair with Bathsheba, God said that he had sinned against the nation. Because he was supposed to be their king. He was supposed to be their leader. He was supposed to be setting an example. And he let them down. So when Peter writes that we should should. Consider it not strange about the trials that we go through. Really, we should, shouldn't consider it strange when the world asks us to make a choice daily about how we reflect Christ. And it shouldn't be strange to us either that he would use something that can be so destructive, so addictive and so easily hid from others. And then you're thinking, Jeff, look, that's too much to ask. It's too hard to change. Verse 4 reminds us, that we can do it if we exercise self-control. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. When the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in us, self-control. But So if, if we have a Spirit-filled life, 
The Spirit, in making us holy, gives us the strength to resist. Regardless of your past habits and addictions, regardless of your libido, it's an ongoing fight, maybe, definitely. But you can't have victory in this if you set your eyes on living a life that pleases God. Job was able to say, I have made a covenant with my eyes. In other words, okay, eyes, here's the deal. We're not going to wander. We're not going to lead us astray. We're focused on, on, on our lives' big goals here. We're going to please God. I've made this covenant. I'm going to start looking at things different. I'm going to start looking at women differently. I'm going to start looking at the TV differently. And that might mean turning the TV off. Those fantasies that filter into our minds repeatedly thousands of times every year, they're damaging. They're cheating on the one who we're going to end up with. And those fantasies will always push to be fulfilled and realised. So don't tell me that people who watched Game of Thrones at the start for the storyline or that you kept watching it because you were admiring God's creation. Look, I'm not saying you're ever going to be able to stop any thoughts popping into your head. Um, but we can't stop them from can stop feeding those fantasies. Uh, and you may not be able to stop them. The old saying, you can't stop birds flying overhead, but you can stop them nesting in your chimney. We have to do more to fight that. Look at verse 5. In talking about controlling our bodies, verse 5 says, Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. See, Paul's saying here, look, we're not supposed to fit in to the world's way of thinking. We are supposed to be set apart and noticeably different, not just in how we act, but in how we think about other people and how we function in society, and especially in private when no one else is, is watching. And I would underline that bit, especially in private. How holy are you when no one is watching is probably the best measurement of your sanctification rather than how you are in church when people are listening to you sing or listen to you pray or listen to you preach. And you might say, well, that's way too rigid for 2020, man. I mean, come on. But according to scripture, that's exactly what someone who isn't saved would say. It's not the response of someone who knows God. Now, there's many theologians and pastors who have failed in this and had affairs and got caught up in scandals. Scripture's response would be, well, those guys may know a thousand facts about God, but they clearly don't know God. Philippians 3, it says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them all as rubbish in order that I gain Christ. I'll gladly walk away from anything because knowing him, having that relationship with him, cannot compare to anything that the world offers this is why affairs don't just happen or things happen by accident or it was a mistake no we, we allow it to happen and here's the thing church to to disagree with scripture in this means you don't appreciate what knowing god is all about having that spirit-filled life is all about and to find it a struggle that is the reality of the spiritual battle. Satan wants to make us ineffective. God wants us to be effective. And it's a battle for our hearts and minds. So turn off the TV. Turn off the web browser. He has put the Holy Spirit in us to pull us towards holiness. To make us more like him. So take this seriously because to push against this is to push against not only the will of God but the character of God. 
And so we have to take it seriously. First, look at verse six. It says, um, so that no one will transgress or wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, the Lord's an avenger in all these things. And scripture says that there's many different ways that that could play in Romans. We read of how he will give some people over to their desires. He'll just let them fall into it. Others, he, he might expose their sin. But either way, folks, you will reap what you sow in these issues. It is a sin. But because it is a sin, it can be forgiven. Christ died to forgive us our sins. And remember, we did this right at the start of this series. He, when we're saved, we're saved from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. So we can be forgiven. But we have to be aware that some of the consequences may endure. You may always fight the residue of an addiction that was caused by looking at too much pornography. You may have to deal with the consequences of a divorce that's come from having affairs. You may find yourself disqualified from roles within the church and in society. So don't dare gloss over this church. Being sanctified means being sanctified by truth. The word of God is truth. The Holy Spirit is in us and we say yes to him. And it says abstain from pornea. All those sexual sins that goes on in the privacy of our minds. So make the changes. Be accountable. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy so if you want to prosper if you want to know the will of god realized in your life as a christian that i live a life that is blessed and pleasing to him you can't be one way in public and another in private but you can't be forgiven and so the goal is to be like a submarine in the ocean we should be in the world but not let the world inside once a submarine starts taking on water it's in crisis so if you're taking on water you need to take action and so look, let me finish off. The, the call is to keep your life pleasing, to keep your lust prohibited. And number three, keep your love prominent. So one of the things I hear most often is that people say uh, that they should be allowed to indulge their sexual desires because it's an expression of their love. They should be allowed to love one another. I really love him. I really love her. Paul says, look, for all the expressions of love, we're all for it. We want people to express their love. That's why we must pursue purity in a sanctified life. You see, Paul says in verse six that no one transgresses or wrongs his brother in this matter. It's not loving to do what you want because we're told love is patient, love is kind. So if you really love them, you can wait. Love is patient so you don't put pressure on people because love is kind and love doesn't demand its own way. See, one of the biggest lies going at the minute and especially our young people across our country are buying it up is that giving into these desires with someone we care about is expressing our love and is therefore right and god approves but when we sin sexually we are not seeking the highest good of others all right neither the woman nor the man that we sin with the person that we fantasize about the person in pornography or the spouse or parent or any of these people it is not Christian love that moves us in any of those things. It is selfishness that is moving us. But Christians are more are people deeply moved by love for others. Christians love people. They don't use them. They don't objectify them. Remember how Paul came into this chapter. Back in chapter 3, 
He is calling on people to abound in love so that they can be holy. And he's now being very clear as to what love is not. And he points us back to what it should be in verses 9 and 10 among brothers and how we think about them and their wives and their daughters. But I'm going to just stop here. The choice has been laid out here. Being a Christian requires more than simply conforming to rules and regulations. It's a transformation. And we have to put to death these corrupt things that pollute our thinking. And we need to reflect more and more to the world Christ in us. Like the wee lad coming home from church. Jesus should stick out. More than putting on an act, it should be radiating from the inside of who we are to the outside. So when we ask what God's will is for our lives, he wants you to be sanctified. These are the people that he can use. These are the people that he'll bless. So are you sanctified? Is the person you are when no one is looking the same person that we see on Sundays? None of us are exactly that guy. But let's close the gap. And may God give us clean hands and pure hearts. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that prayer from the Psalms. Lord, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Lord, may our affections not be fixed on another person, but first and foremost on you. Lord, that the relationship that we have for you then overflows into how we relate to the people around us how we relate to our spouse, how we relate to our fiancé, how we relate to our boyfriend, our girlfriend, how we relate to our, um, our everyone around us, Lord. Lord, that our minds are less polluted today than what they were when we first met you. Lord, that our minds are be being renewed and being sanctified. Lord, that you're moulding us and shaping us to be more like you. Lord, that we don't have to feign uh, enters when really all we have is lost Lord that we don't have to be worried that someday the things that we look at online or the things that we see and how we think about is going to be exposed Lord forgive us these things but Lord I pray that you would work in our hearts Lord that we would see it for the sin that it is Lord we would see the damage that it is doing in our hearts Lord, that we would be so focused on being spirit-filled that the Spirit would have all of us. Lord, that He would, that the Spirit would just move us away from these things. Lord, may you have access to every part of our lives. Lord, may we confess it this morning. May we deal with it at the throne of your mercy. Lord, that we might find forgiveness. Lord, that we might repent that we might turn away from the sin and fight against it. Lord, that you might use us. Lord, that we might abound in real God-like love. Lord, that our relationship between ourselves and you would be deeper because we don't have this secret part hidden away in the recesses of our mind. And Lord, that the people who we are in public would be what we're like in private as well and so lord we pray that you'd work in our lives now we ask this in your name amen